No intro to today's podcast because today's podcast is very different than every other podcast that we have done. Um, for those of you who know us very well, who we consider friends and family, you already know this information. And for those of us, um, for those of you who we haven't reached out to immediately, it's not because we don't love you. It's not because we don't think about you. It's just that we've been very busy the last 48 hours. Uh, my father, your husband, Gary Zener, passed away uh, early Monday morning, and we debated doing a podcast, but we thought to ourselves, we have to do a podcast. He would want us to do a podcast, and it is the best way to memorialize somebody who has kind of been the third member of this podcast since it started over two years ago. This podcast is going to be raw. There's going to be a lot of tears. There's going to be a lot of death conversation and death adjacent conversation. And just like the last 48 hours, there's going to be tears and there's going to be laughter and there's going to be long pauses of thought and introspective thinking and Deb and I just looking at each other because even as I start this podcast, Deb's getting a little teary eyed. But this podcast will be unedited. This podcast will be raw. If you hear the crinkling of tissue, that's because we're dabbing our nose or dabbing our eyes. We're crying and we're just, we're sitting in the reality of what we have been with the last 48 hours. And we will continue to do so over the next hour with all of you. That's the best I could come up with. <laughs> that was good. That was good. All right. So kind of to recap. The pandemic hit in February 2020. Yeah. Two weeks later, dad was diagnosed with bladder cancer. What stage was it at that point? I think it was a late stage three or stage four. Stage three or stage four bladder cancer. Shortly after that, we started doing a podcast. And I would say for the better part of that two and a half years, dad, has, dad and his health have been an undercurrent for everything that we've talked about. We, we were giving updates. We told you how much of an ox he was. People in the medical community could not believe the amount of treatment he had received and was not only still alive, but thriving during all of it. And of course, we had three or four moments where we thought we were losing him, not even just recently, way before that, because the treatments were too harsh or because he wasn't getting the necessary information to combat what some of the treatments were doing or because dad just was trusting too much in medical professionals who were treating him like a number or a name on a document. And it took both Deb and I to intercede to say, that's not how this is going to go. We need more action. And so for two and a half years, a, a guy who was probably given a death sentence within a couple months lived a life, lived through a pandemic, lived to see his wife and son have the number one podcast in the world <laughs> and got to bear witness to a lot of very cool things that I think others with the same diagnosis would not have been able to bear witness to. So if for nothing else, he was a fighter, a freaking ox, a guy who Lord only knows how long he would have lived if he never had cancer because he was still living with a body full of cancer and poison. And as we said on Monday's podcast, woke up Saturday, fully dressed, fed the dogs, had TV on, and was sitting in his chair. I'm talking too much. Feel free to interject whenever you want. 
No, you're doing uh, you're doing a good job. I'm also trying to stave off Deb needing to talk because I can feel the emotion in her, which is fine. I mean, nobody's shaming anybody in this house for crying because Lord knows there's been a lot of that. I was actually thinking when you were talking, I thought, oh, if he just keeps talking, I'm going to be good. And then I 56 thought- 56 <laughs> more minutes. And then I thought, if he just keeps talking, are they going to think it's weird if like I never <laughs> yeah. say anything? If, you, if we just hear you sniffling in the background, mm. we'll, we'll know you're there. So we are- we are not going to get into the intimate details of, of uh, my dad, your husband, passing on Monday. But one of the great things that I bear witness to when I was young was your mom, Barbara, mm-hmm. when she was going through all of her health-related issues and then eventually her passing away. One of the great things you said was never be in a hurry to call somebody to get rid of the body. Like, sit there. Be with them. Be present. This is the last time you're going to have this physical form with you for forever. And so on Monday when he had passed, it was calm. Your experience was different because you were with him. So you you got to be with him. You got to experience he and his last breath. And there was this, there's this kind of anecdotal joke that, that Deb always says that all of the people, all of the animals, all of the <laughs> things in my life wait for me to leave and then they pass away. And I just want to be there. I want to be there with them. And you were there for your husband when he passed away. And you spent some time with him even before I came downstairs. But there was a moment, side side note, there was a moment where I came downstairs. Dad's bedroom where he was sleeping is right off the bottom of the stairs. I looked over. Your head was on the mattress. Dad was laying there. And I thought to myself, for the briefest of brief seconds, if they're both dead, I'm going to kill her. (laughs) I said, Mm. hey, you popped Mm. up. I said, okay, that's gone. Like, we're good with that. You confirmed that he had passed. And I will say this, and we can get into the, the intimacy of the day. We were with dad for a little over six hours after he had passed. It felt really good. And I know people are going to think, what are you talking about? My girlfriend had flown in the night before. You and I were there, probably not looking great, but tried Uh, to put ourselves together. Definitely not looking great, for sure. Our amazing hospice nurse, the lovely Katie, showed up within 30 minutes of you having called her. It felt outside of what was happening. It felt like a really beautiful morning. He would, I feel like I'm going to get lost in the details here because you're in, you're in your house, you're with loved ones. Your, your husband, my dad has passed away and he's in the other room. Katie had come in, managed to straighten him out, put a clean shirt on him, make him look good with all the different salves and creams and then placed him in such a peaceful position that it was just, I mean, he looked so nice given what had just transpired and the lights were on and Deb played music, which we will, (laughs) we will tell, tell you a story about that in a second, but to be able to spend that time with him and with you and to be able to be in our house and to be able to just not feel hurried or rushed that moment will sit with me for forever because it felt good. As ironic as that sound, it, it sounds, it felt really good. 
Well, I love hearing your description of that. Um, I, I will say in amongst all that, there were moments certainly of both of us completely falling apart. Apart. Um, and it, but Kevin's right. I mean, the bigger ambiance, the feel, it was very, very peaceful. Um, the lovely Katie really, truly, I mean, Amazing. orchestrated this, I think, for us. I didn't know people like her could possibly exist. I know. First of all, she's truly lovely yep. in every, every way. Second of all, I want to say, like, she kind of took control of us, but not in any kind of controlling way. Nope. Every decision was ours. If your hospice person doesn't stay with you throughout this process, she stayed with us until Gary was gone. And then she even hung out a little bit, yep. you know, and I want to say like that day would have been atrocious without her. I agree. I mean, we would have, we, it would have been a mess because she really, I mean, she can speak to all the stuff you're feeling. She yep. knows what it is. She can call it by name, you know, um, I will say, like, this is only my personality. Somebody else's personality might be different, but I can go the minute it's over. Like, there is relief. There's relief that he's not suffering anymore. There's relief yep. that, like, just the last 48 hours were crazy. Um, there's the relief that that's part over. But that relief, I'm going to say, lasts for, like, seconds. And then there is this collision of, you know, the finality of it, which is devastating and heartbreaking. And then there's this like other little piece that sneaks in. And it really is like, like I've known since the second it happened, like, I'm just going to say kind of a belligerent optimism where we're going to ultimately be okay if we do all of this right. Yeah. And if we pay attention and to our feelings that we're having now and don't shove anything under the road. Agreed. But I'm going to say those three feelings hitting your mind and soul all at once are devastating. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot to process because the last few days, even with his surge on Saturday, were not great. Meaning we just assumed that it was any minute, any minute he was going to be, he was, he was going to pass. And for us, I mean, for us going through that for the kind of the first time for me, the second time for you because of your mom, you're not on edge. And I don't think we were like panic or anxiety filled. But I mean, we talked about this yesterday. Every morning you came down and you just wondered, mm -hmm. was he going to be alive? Yep. Was the door open? Right. Was the door closed? Was the light on? You yep. know. And so you're processing all of that. So selfishly, like, well, thank gosh, I don't have to worry about that anymore because I know He's now passed, but am I a horrible person for having some relief with that? Because then that's immediately flooded with, oh my gosh, he's gone. That's horrible. Because when you see somebody you love going through that, you're not wishing that on them. Like neither you or I ever wanted him to live longer than he himself wanted to live, especially if he was in pain. There was no selfishness attached to that. So we weren't willing it, but we wanted him to know that it's okay to go. Like, we're fine. Mm -hmm. We're happy. We're healthy. We're here for you. You can leave whenever you're ready. But then when you say that, you think like, oh, I'm the worst person in the world. Right. For for not like not insisting that he leave, but for opening the door for him to feel comfortable leaving. But then he's then he passes so he's no longer suffering. And, and that feels good, but simultaneously selfish. 
And then you're remembering moments about him. And of course, the day he passes and the day after are filled with all this fun anecdotal stories about him. So you're laughing, but then you feel terrible that you're laughing, even though he would want you to laugh at his expense. I was worried at one point during the day because, I mean, I'm just going to tell you, the passing of somebody that you love, like your mind will just screw with you. And mine has screwed with me royally. And I'm going to go by five o'clock in the evening. I could have had him canonized as a saint. So watching (laughs) Deb rewrite history in real time was pretty funny (laughs) because I'm not going, especially within hours of, uh, uh, of him having passed, I'm not going to look at her and be like, that's wrong. But I'm sitting there being like, wow, that's definitely not right. But yeah. I'm going to let her believe this. But because you are who you are, you immediately like, I know that's not right. I know that's not the case. But grief, shock, yeah. Yeah. in the immediacy screws with all of us. Yeah. But you're right. Like in Deb's hierarchy of saints, it would have been Mother Teresa. Our father (laughs) has been Gary Zener. And not our father and our father. No, no. He would have been higher than them. Yeah, yeah. And then everybody else. Yeah. No, so like that happened. And then, you know, and then honestly, you start thinking of everything and you start, you know, like we've said all along, we're a normal family. We're normal people. We love each other desperately. We fight. We argue. We get annoyed with one another. And so really the whole picture is true. Do you mean we are a normal I'm going to say American family, you know, with all of that. You know, one of the things that I've mentioned this before, and I don't think, I mean, like, gosh, I don't know how people prepare for it. But if you haven't had somebody really close to you that you, you know, truly love die, when when they've been sick for a long time, you go through this just, it's like emotions are cycling through you like a hamster wheel constantly. You can't stop it. And it kind of depends on what's going on any day. Kevin and I have been working this whole time. So there are just, I'm going to say life distractions. Though, I want to say because this happened during COVID, we've also been home more than we've ever, we would have ever been home under normal circumstances. And for some reason, I don't know if it's our lives, our friends, our community, but hasn't totally 100% opened up. So everybody's out four nights a week. You know, that really hasn't happened for us. So, you know, it can be like, uh, one more thing, I'm tired of this or blah, blah, blah. Certainly in that, I don't ever wish he would die. Do you know what I mean? Mostly I wished you got up yesterday and did that for yourself. Can't you get up today and do that for yourself? You know, it was mostly like that. But the finality of here and gone is shocking. Yeah. It is shocking. It is, I have said a dozen times, if only he could be here for five more minutes. Right. Like, and, and one time it was like, if he could be here for 10 more minutes, I would just yell at him. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not because I want to yeah. hug him and kiss him. I do. But I would just yell at him. I would yell at him for dying. And I would yell at him for getting sick. And I would yell at him for things that happened 30 years ago because yeah. I want to yell at him. Of course. I do want to say this. As soon as I'm done yelling at him, I'm going to give him a big hug. Yeah. But I have our family talks about everything. I think we are so good. I really do. I don't think there's any subjects that we're afraid of. I don't think there's anything we're afraid to tell each other. I think we are, I don't mean brutal in a mean way. I think we are honest 
I think we know what each other thinks. And I am telling you, I have a list as long as my arm of things that I still feel like I should have said. Right. So <clears throat> the only advice I can give, which nobody will listen to, um, which is fine, um, is you don't have to have a sick person in your house to go through all the things you want to say. Because here's the promise. If you go through things, all the things you want to say, if they're suddenly gone, there's more you're going to want to say. Right. And so say the really important things. And I did. I mean, I said, I had accidentally, it was really funny, I said to Kevin, because I will, I mean, listen, I, like one of the things when I walked into his room, his eyes were closed and, you know, he was heavy breathing and, um, he probably passed away, I don't know, half an hour later. And right before he passed away, he opened his eyes and looked, I mean, like we locked eyes, we looked at each other. And, um, but somewhere in the first few hours after that, I changed it to his eyes were open when I walked in the room. Right. I never told the story that way, but in my brain, the visual, that absolutely was not true. Our brains, uh, under conditions like this, cannot be trusted. I'm just telling you that. Right. You know, and so it is really easy to reinvent everything. And like, was I nice enough? Was I good enough? Was I loving enough? And I accidentally taped a conversation between he and I um, when he was sick. And I was trying to get him to say something that I wanted to play for you. Right. And it was very cl- quickly it wasn't going to happen. And I just n- forgot to turn it off. So I ended up taping way more. And I listened to that whole thing. And I will say this, like I laughed out loud. I was so nice to him. I was so sweet to him. I was so loving. He was like, I mean, he was pretty funny, but it was just like the sweetest moment. And then I realized that wasn't an extraordinary moment. Right. That was an ordinary moment between us. And I'd completely forgot I was taping it. The phone was just sitting there. And, you know, the interaction between us was lovely. It was sweet. And that's probably mostly how it was. I mean, honestly, during this entire time. So you will second guess yourself. I mean, you will say things like, I know I had a job, but I should have spent every waking hour after I had a job with them. And that's just like, you don't get through two and a half years if you do that, right? The revisionist history that probably everybody has, but but that you have had in the last 48 hours is, is the worst thing. I would say short of yeah. dad dying is the worst thing that you've put yourself through, which is I should have done more. Yeah. I wanted him. I, I needed him here for five extra minutes to be able to tell him how much I love him to which I've told you infinite amount of times to which our hospice nurses have told you infinite amount of times who I want to talk to about them in a second. You did everything. And I mean this Deb was the person dad believed he was doing it by himself and he never was. Deb was like the shadow government, making sure that everything <laughs> was actually happening that needed to happen. And my job was to support you as you supported him. That was my role. Because dad was who he was and because he was full of pride, he really didn't want his son helping him in, in manners that would have felt like he was an invalid or incapable. But he or, was happy with for you to do it. Or in anything that I, I'm going to say kind of fell into the dignity issue. Totally. You know, a he, thousand percent. He, and I'm like, you know, Kevin could really help us out here. And he's like, nope. nope. You know I mean, like, okay. So you you did 
everything within your power and anybody who has had a loved one pass or is dealing with a loved one who is passing understands that just because someone is going through that or is ex- about to experience death or is on the cusp of experiencing death doesn't change who they are, right? They can still right. be the exact same person. The only difference is they might not be here today or next week or next month. So there are still annoyances that happen. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about that. There are still funny things that happen. Lord knows we have talked about that, but we were fortunate to be able to work from home. So we spent pretty much every single day with him for the better part of two and a half years. And there was only maybe once or twice where you and I were both gone. And it was early on to where he was still able to take care of himself. There was no genuine worry about it. So, so the things we tell ourselves about, like, I wish I would have done more. I could have done this. I should have said this. Mom, you ad nauseum, as it probably related to him, told him everything you needed to tell him and reiterated it and reiterated it. There was no way Gary Zener on his way out the door didn't understand firmly your thoughts, your beliefs, your love, your annoyances, and everything in between that you had for him. I'm pretty sure he could have written it down verbatim from memory about where you stood on every single thing because you were so good at communicating that with him. And because everybody else who knows you knows how great you are at communicating that to them. But again, it's the things that we do to ourselves is the little torture chambers that we put ourselves in after the fact, hoping, believing that we could have done more when as an outsider who was really doing nothing more than supporting you, there was nothing more you could have done. No, I know. I mean, I, I do know that. I, I know that in my head. Yeah. And then it's just if my heart takes over, I'm a mess. True. I mean, that's how it goes. I will say this. And this is one thing that it didn't, I don't know, like people that know us, I know people that know us would go, oh, that's no surprise. But you and I know each other and there are things like we are well aware of the differences between one another. Yep. And I think maybe some people on the outside see the likenesses, concentrate on that a lot. Mm -hmm. I will say the emotional roller coaster of the first 24 hours I felt almost second by second, we were on the exact same ride, like on the same curves, mm-hmm. on the same, like there was a moment where really I just wanted to scream at the top of my lungs and you walked in and I literally went into the bedroom because I thought like, I am, I'm going to burst here. Right. Do you know what I mean? And, um, and that was after he was gone and you come up in the bedroom and you go, I'm going to scream. You know, I mean, I will say that, Everything that I did rationally or irrationally or in between felt so good when you did it too. Right. Because it was like, oh, like this is, he's, we're in this. We're seeing it the same. We're feeling it the same. Um, I know I'll be maybe irrational longer. I'm well aware of that. But um, I think that like in that first 24 hours, for sure, like we were just tracking in the exact same space, which is comforting. I mean, it's super, super comforting. There's something wonderful about it. So the important part about that, and I want to say this, is you can think you know how you're going to respond to an event like this. Mm -hmm. You can shove feelings aside. You're free to take Xanax and not feel it. I mean, you can do whatever it is you're going to do. I think the important message that I would want to share to people if they haven't experienced this kind of loss is like, 
I mean, short of somebody throwing some kind of crazy anger fit, yeah. you know, like Uncle Bob doing something like that. Uncle Bob. Who needs to go into the backyard then if right. that happens? And start drinking and smoking. Exactly. Um, but short of that is you do have to give people their space to do what they want, when they want. You have caught me at moments. And if you asked me why I was crying, I mean, like yesterday, I'm hanging, I'm laying on the dryer. Yeah. She was totally fine. She walked out to the garage to get something out of the dryer. She was out there a little longer than she needed to be. And I walked out there and she had her hands and head on the dryer sobbing. And I go, what are we crying about? <laughs> and yeah. somebody had sent you a nice message, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, so so I have a rule. Like, I literally, literally will not speak to you. Um, if you call, I go, okay, don't be too nice. Yeah. Don't ask me how I am. Like, if we can kind of stick to the facts here, we'll be good, yeah. right? Um, but extreme kindness right now is debilitating. It's bad. People shouldn't be nice <laughs> to anybody ever, especially during times of a grief, at least in this household. L- l- I do not need anybody saying a kind or generous word. I don't want it. I literally couldn't, can't stand like it. Like you can do what you want on text yeah. because I can look at that or not look at that. Do you know what I mean? And yep. all of that. But short of text... Like, you can't tell me that you love me and that you're there for me. Like, I know it. I believe it. I can hear it on another day. But right now, I just crumple. Yeah. So here's some interesting stuff, like, on the day of. So, uh, I mean, Deb and I obviously wanted to spend time with Dad after he had passed. And we had the, the door to his bedroom wide open. The lights were on. The music was playing. The door was cracked outside. And what it was, it was, it was almost like our version of a viewing where we would just find ourselves migrating back there either together as individuals. My girlfriend and I would go back there. The hospice nurse, Katie, who stayed with us for six hours. would It, it just felt like if you needed a fix, you'd go back there. Yeah. And sometimes we'd sit with him. Sometimes we'd stare at him. Sometimes we'd hold his hand. I don't know that you can ever get closure after something like that. I think more you just kind of like continue on with your life. But that felt like some pretty good amounts of closure, just being able to spend that time with him in in the version that he existed. And I would love to think that he would have loved the idea of being in the home longer than an hour after he passed, knowing that the people that he cared about the most were spending time with him too. I think that really heals the heart and the spirit and doesn't force you in a negative way, but forces you in a positive way to really come to terms that this human being, this person, this person that you've loved is no longer there, but you still get to have that intimate time with them. I think that's super important. Make sure to laugh during during the sad times. If mm-hmm. you're just like full-blown depressed, it's going to be so much worse. But knowing that there's sadness mixed with laughter, mixed with melancholy, just make mixed with all of the emotions somehow feels better. Like the the complication of all of those emotions feels really, really good. And then I'll say this, when they eventually come to take him, and this is to anybody who has yet to experience this in their life, remove yourself from the proceedings. I, you had had, you've experienced that before Mm -hmm. where you've seen somebody pass away and then them come and remove the body. And you said, we don't want to be privy to that. And thank well, you to our hospice nurse who who gave us a step-by-step of what was going to happen. And she said, and we trusted her implicitly, 
Do not watch them move the body. Do not watch them wheel the body. Do not watch them take the body outside of the home. The place you want to exist is seeing the body as it's resting in bed, removing yourself, then the people who have put him on the gurney to take him away will stop in front of the door so you can say your last goodbyes. And then again, remove yourself so that you're not watching him leave. So that the memories that you have are sweet and kind and nice. And that's exactly what we did. Yeah, it and was I can, perfect. It was I, perfect. And I can tell you this. I don't need to have known what watching a body leave the house looks like to know I would hate it. Yeah. I would yeah. have hated watching that. But a good thing is, if you're worried about this, they don't use body bags anymore. They use yeah. these really nice quilts. Mm, really nice. Well, okay. In, re- in, in, in relation to body bags? No, they're really nice. Super yeah, nice. Yeah. And it's, it is far more appeasing to your psyche to see your loved one leave in a quilt than in a black zip-up body bag. I agree. We had an old neighbor. We, in fact, we talked about this and laughed about this. Paul, Paul, Bye, was, Paul. Paul was weird. Paul trapped neighborhood cats. Straight up trapped neighborhood we cats. We don't know what he did with them. We hope they he took them out to the farm and let them go. But cats annoyed the heck out of Paul. Yeah. Well, Paul was old when Kevin was little. And one day, well, I mean, this is awful what I'm going to say, but the, the Paul's house is a little bit on a rise. Yeah, he, he's at the, our, our street kind of dead ends at another road and you can go left or right. Paul's house is at that dead end and it sits up probably an additional 50 feet from, from our house. So it's elevated. So it's steps all the way up the lawn yeah. to the house. Like 40 steps. So all of a sudden we realize there's a ruckus at Paul's house. Mm-hmm. There's 10 boys that live on our street, you know, running around like crazy we realize Paul has died and I will never forget you kids out there and us trying to shoo you in, yeah. but you guys have none of it. And here they're bringing Paul in a body bag ba-fump, yeah. ba-fump, dunk, dunk, ba-fump, dunk, dunk, down dunk, the dunk, stairs. Dunk, dunk. And I'm like, Oh, like boys. And you're like, no. And then, so I just resort to everybody say goodbye to Paul. And we all waved. And everybody Bye, waved. Paul. Bye Paul. <laughs> It was awful. But it's a great memory I have because we honored Paul in his cat homicidal ways by waving goodbye to him as he left. I had no control then. I clearly have no no control now. Yeah. Uh, I want to talk about, so um, on Monday's podcast, we recorded it on Saturday and we were recording it after dad had this secondary surge. He had had a surge the week before and he had a secondary surge that Saturday. It was far less awake and aware right, than right. the week before. But as I said, he got himself dressed. He fed the dogs. He like was doing what he was doing. He was still very exhausted. He was still on a lot of drugs. Shortly thereafter, we put him back in bed. But my dad wandered. Like if he had a modicum of energy, he wanted out of the bed and he wanted to walk around. So we were a little concerned with that. So we just kept, kept trying to usher him back to bed because one of the hospice nurses said with, with patients like this who are insistent and persistent about wanting to move, it's inevitable. He's going to fall. 10 out of 10 times, he's going to fall. And you were right. You and I were terrified about that, even though she said, and when they fall, what do you do? And we're like, well, we call, we call you and then we pick him up and we try. And they're like, no, when they fall, you, you keep them there. You call us. You make them as comfortable as possible. We assess where they're at. If, the, if a Bone needs to be set. If medication needs to be administered, 
we will do that, but you make them comfortable and then we will get them back to bed. And you and I are just like, we leave them on the floor. That sounds terrible. Yeah. So Saturday, fast forward, I go to the gym. One of the hospice nurses who we don't know. Yeah. um, Because she's on call on duty that day comes over and it's our first time with her. She's lovely enough, but she is not one of the nurses that we know and genuinely enjoy. You both go looking on him and he's like cashed out, completely passed out. I come back from the gym. Before I had gone to the gym, we had gotten a baby monitor for his room because somebody said, was somebody like him who's constantly moving, Mm -hmm. if you need the door to be closed because he likes it quiet, if for whatever reason, it's good to have this baby monitor so you can at least know what he's doing. I'm in the kitchen. The baby monitor is behind me. I'm starting to make lunch. I don't see him in bed. I go, "Uh, I think he's up and outside. And both of you are like, what? And you shoot up. You go outside. You bring him back in. You put him in the chair. And then what was the conversation like with him? So what happened is, and listen, this nurse's intent was the very best. Totally. We have talked to Gary 10 million times about end-of-life things to try to get him, I'm not going to say to accept, but to just get comfortable with the idea, first of all, that all human beings die, which Gary seemed to have an issue with. He thought he might have been the outlier. And he thought like, well, do they all? I mean, isn't there maybe one that didn't? Um, And then as it came to him specifically, because he wasn't ready, he he determined that that actually meant he wouldn't. Right. And That we actually have our own choice as to whether or not we die. And so, and also too, he was having a little bit of, I think, struggle with the separation of body and spirit and all yeah. of that. Now, look, at I don't know what on, went on in his head. I only know what he talked about, right. you know, and when we would have those conversations, I mean, he was fairly vociferous. He was engaged, though we would always circle back around to the most optimistic possibility. Yeah. That's what he would do. Mm-hmm. So this nurse is really like talking to him about end of life and where he is and blah, 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 blah. Which is no different than every other hospice nurse. Right. But he doesn't know her. Nope. And then here's the other thing I did think about later. I've said to them all, you can take your masks off. I don't care. Yeah. And they all do. But she didn't. Yeah. And so he couldn't see her face either. Felt a little more clinical. Yeah. And so I saw him looking at me and I'm like, is he confused? Yeah. Like, is he hearing her? And then there was a moment when he turned and looked at me and I go, oh, he's not happy with her. Yeah. Like he's hearing her and he's not happy with this message. So you get him into bed. I'm back in the kitchen again making lunch. I look back at the monitor three minutes after you guys come out of the room. I go, he's up and he's outside again. And you're both like, oh my God, holy hell, right? So she says, hey, now's a good time to give him a dose of medication. You look at her and I think you've now... Connected the dots. Bum rushed her out the door. And you're like, I think it's time. We're good. You send her away. You go outside. He's sitting in the chair. And what does he say to you? What the F is going on, Deb? (laughs) So you say, Kev, come outside. I come outside. Dad's sitting in the chair, rocking back and forth, alert. Yeah. You're sitting next to him. I'm across the table for him. And what Deb and I decided to do in that moment is we're we're trying to educate him on what the last 72 hours have been, which has been an individual who's totally comatose. He has been asleep for the last 72 hours. He's not been awake at all. He is. He's actually a little, I think his concern, I mean, now that I've got some distance on it, I think his concern 
was, what is all this fuss about? What right. the heck is going on here? Why is she here? talking about end of life? Why is there all this attention? And by the way, I mean, really, did I sign on for that hospital bed? Right. I mean, there was just kind of like a lot of that. Yeah. And you did a great job initially because you said, Dad, it's like you're walking into the middle of a movie. We, we've been here the whole time and you don't understand what's going on. Right. So you did a really good job of filling him in and describing in pretty vivid detail what the last few days had looked like and how afraid we had been for him. We were trying to be as direct as possible, not mince words, because even with his alertness, his cognition has kind of deteriorated yeah, massively. Sure. Yeah. And so we just wanted to be really straightforward. And what we were trying to do is also get some emotion out of him. Like, how do you feel? Do you understand what we're saying? Like, how are you doing? I believe he was fully absorbing of what we were saying, but he literally could not put the words together to express. I mean, to respond effectively. Emotions for my dad at his healthiest were tough to put into words. At this point in his life, impossible. So quickly, we just became, we, we went from trying to educate a third of the household that why we were concerned about them passing away. And that that just gave away to us being a family again. Okay. So. Rewind. Deb and I are in the car a day before, and she says, I feel like we should do something for him. I'm like, what are you talking about? She goes, I don't know. I feel like he would like to listen to music. I was like, you think Gary Zener wants to listen to music? She's like, he loves music. I said, mom, we would go on 12-hour car rides, and he wouldn't play an ounce of music. He wouldn't even think to listen to music. He does not like music in the background of anything. And you're like, he loves Steely Dan. <laughs> so Deb sees that the medication we gave him is, is starting to work. And so she's she's trying to figure out like, hey, what are some things that you want? And she goes, Gare, would you like us to play some music? To which I say, he doesn't <laughs> want to listen to music. And you're like, stop speaking for him. And this is all very jovial. Gare, do you want to listen to music? And I said, he doesn't want to listen to music. And dad's just kind of like rubbing his head. And I feel like he's understanding what's happening between us. And you say, what about Steely Dan? Do you want to listen to some Steely Dan? I said, he doesn't want to listen to music. He doesn't want to listen to Steely Dan. He likes his silence. And you go, he effing loves music, Kevin. And there's this pause. There's this beat. And the guy who hasn't spoken for like five minutes- <laughs> Or really moved that much. All of a sudden shoots his hands up in the air like a touchdown and goes, I effing love music. <laughs> so the, I will remember that time around. We were sitting around our backyard um, table, our outdoor table and umbrella and everything. It was a hot day, but there was a lovely breeze. Yep. I mean, I really in that moment- was like you could tell he was enjoying the three of us For being sure. there. And it just felt so brilliant outside and birds and all of that kind of stuff. And when he did that, you and I looked at each other and almost died. It was so good. So then again, my mom trying to sneak in one more thing that she <laughs> thinks he might want. My dad, least religious person at all. Born and raised Catholic, could not care at all about the Catholic Church or church in general. She says, and she's asked him this when his when he still had his wits, like, do you want communion? And this I go, is, folks, this is what desperation yeah. looks like. Yeah. Do you want communion? And I'm like, he doesn't like music. <laughs> he doesn't want communion. And she's like, Gare, 
communion. We can bring somebody in. She like references some of the priests or the pastors that she knows. They can bring you communion. I go, he doesn't (laughs) want communion. And he looks at you, eyes closed, head being rubbed by his hands. And what does he say to you? He goes, well, I think I would like a lot of little communions. (laughs) (laughs) So if you could take the wafer and just crimple it up and just feed me every bit of the body of Christ just over a 12-hour time frame, that would be better. And then if you want, you can play some Steely Dan in the background. Uh, We were dying. We were literally dying at that point. I mean, all three of us were just... It was great. It was a beautiful moment that we all got to share in, in what I would have told you, we would have never had another moment like that. Yeah. And so it was great to have that. And then this is a story about how inadequate Deb and I are. Okay. So dad that night was in a hospital bed and oh, so no, the next, it was the next day. It was the next day. Dad uh, was now in a hospital bed and was the one that goes up, goes down, head comes up, head comes down, feet go up, feet go down, right? All the, all the attachments of like whatever sir temperpedic mm-hmm. thing happens. So the nurse who had come in that day said, we want to put a wedge pillow under him and we just want to move him so that we don't get bed sores because all of us are literally thinking like there's probably another 10 days of this. Yeah. Knowing, knowing dad, there's probably another 10 days of this before he leaves. The thing that we did not think about in the moment is that somebody should properly train us how to do all of this stuff because this is what nurses go to school for, like mm-hmm. how to properly move a patient, how to like transition a patient, how to take like shirts off of a patient, how to change a patient, all that kind of jazz, right? We, all that kind I of stuff. I do want to say you weren't there, but we got a quick little, very, very quick little tutorial that, listen, I don't think it's hard, but I think you have to like, no, like, no. I think if you can practice first on people you don't know, yeah, it makes it a lot easier doing it to people you do know. Right. Ours was baptism by fire. <laughs> so it's like- And by the way, don't count on us ever. Ever. I know, I know Kevin looks strong and he is, but he can't tolerate much. Yeah. And like- it, he is, he's literally no good. So, no. I mean, I'm so, no good either, though. It's 9.30 on Sunday night. Deb says, I need you to come back here. I said, why? She goes, we got to reposition dad. And I'm, I'm like, okay. <laughs> like, not sold on this idea at all. So he's been wearing this blue shirt for like the last two or three days. And somehow it's gotten dirty. How it's gotten dirty, I have no idea how it's gotten dirty. But you're like, we need to remove this shirt. And yeah. I said, okay, how are we going to do that? She goes, we're cutting it off. <laughs> Just like they do at the ER. Yeah, we're cutting it off. We look like chimpanzees who had never seen scissors before, trying to cut this shirt off of him. We cut up the center. We cut up the sleeves. We're getting stuck. We're trying not to cut his skin. We're trying not to stab him in the jugular. You would have thought we didn't know what scissors were, okay? So then finally, the shirt is like filleted open. My dad has passed out, and now oh we're trying. God, this is we are so bad. We're trying to pull the shirt out from under him, but it's it's, it's dead it's weight. It's dead weight, oh. and he can't help us. Nor should he. He has got so many drugs in him. Imagine <laughs> me. I am six foot seven, two hundred and twenty five pounds. I work out. I'm not not strong. Wrenching on this shirt, mm. pulling like in a in a ninety degree angle, parallel to the ground, trying to get this shirt out from under him. Finally, as Deb's like trying to push it through on the other side, I get it and it like slaps me in the face because I've been pulling so hard. His shirt hits me in the face. I go, 
I throw the shirt in the trash can. Deb goes, help me put this other shirt on him. I go, you think we can put a shirt on him? We couldn't even get a cut shirt off of him. I think he'll be fine. We'll wait till the nurse comes to be able to put a shirt on him. So he had a wedge pillow under his right side, and we needed to put a wedge pillow now under his left side. This involves moving him, taking the wedge pillow out, handing it over to you, and moving him again. We couldn't this cut a T-shirt. Awful. We should be telling. We couldn't cut part. a T-shirt, and we're trying to move a patient. Mm. It's as horrible as it sounded. Yeah. I like have him up. Deb puts the wedge pillow under him, and she goes, "We should put these bars up on the bed so that he doesn't fall out." Totally makes sense. The problem is the wedge pillow is directly over one of the bars, so he's like at a forty-five <laughs> degree angle, which is totally normal. Deb jacks up the bars, so now he's like parallel to the side of the bed wanting to tip over and I go put him down put him down put him down in the midst of this Dell and I look at each other and we're nothing if not school children we just start laughing hysterically because we are so incompetent we are well, so uh, unbelievably we're incompetent we are desperate and you're like don't laugh he can hear us I know he can hear us laugh Nick I'm so sorry sweetheart I'm so sorry I'm so sorry so Mm, they say the hearing is the last thing to go and all he hears is us laughing at our own incompetency we put the rail down he's at a 45 degree angle deb says we have to change his diaper now he has not eaten or drinking in the last drink in the last six or seven days the diaper is a pull-on diaper so (laughs) the diaper gets the same treatment as the shirt to which i say deb you got this and you say no you have to help me i said Here's what I know. Talking dignity. My father, your husband, does not want me to see his bitten tackles at any point in life. And I'm like, you can't make me do it. You said, stay here. I said, you can't make me do it. You can't make me do it. You can't overpower me. You can't overpower me. You can't make me do it. So I go out to the living room. Deb cuts up along the side. So so it is now free. She walks into the garage. I'm like, oh, good. She's taking the diaper out. She's throwing it away. She comes back into the living room with gloves and hands them to me. And and I go, what is this? And she goes, well, you got to take the diaper out. I said, I have to pull the diaper out? I said, did you just see what happened with the shirt? She's like, yeah, you have to pull the diaper out. So I'd taken it all off. I'd pulled as far as I could, but I just couldn't get that last bit out underneath his rear end. So gloves... Plastic gloves on. And I knew and I knew how Kevin was. If I didn't bring him gloves, it was gonna be the end of the world. I no, the diaper's like, there's nothing. Like he, maybe he peed in it, maybe. I I'm now wrenching on the diaper, except this isn't as strong as the Teflon t-shirt, because this thing's starting to rip. So like I'm having to readjust and readjust. And again, I'm pulling so hard, the diaper slaps me in the chest <laughs> once it finally comes out from under him. Oh. I go out, I throw it away. You are able to put the second diaper. On, on him. him, but but you're not able to get it up all the way, and this involves us moving him again. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'm telling mm-hmm. you this: moving a loved one, like an inanimate object, is awful. Oh, it, it's so it's awful. The worst. It's so the worst. I look at her and I'm like, "No, you are either going to laugh, yeah, inappropriately laugh your guts which out, is or what we did, yeah." So I move him. You're able to tuck it up. I, I move him to the right. You're able to tuck it up. I move him to the left. You're able to tuck him up. And you're like, we need to move him one more time. And I was like, Deb, we cannot keep moving him. We have moved him 12 times right now. He might have thought this was funny initially. Now he hates us. Yeah. He officially hates us. The one thing that I will forever be in debt to Gary Zener for 
is he saw how woefully incompetent we were, how horrible of nurses we were, couldn't even cut and remove a t-shirt from him. And he thought, better for me to make my exit now than to endure these morons for the next week or two. So Kevin looks at me that night and he grabs me and he goes, mom, you get somebody out here tomorrow. We need lessons, real lessons. If we're going to do this, we've got to do better. Yeah. At one point when Kevin walked out of the room and he came back, I mean, I had been laughing so hard. I thought I was going <laughs> to die. I had no strength. And it. he was out of the room for 20 seconds and I'm standing sobbing. Sobbing. And I said, we're sobbing. not doing that right now. Yeah. I said, we can't do that I right now. I was just, uh To show was... you how in- incompetent we were, when our hospice nurse Katie showed up on Monday, she said, okay, you guys get out of the room. I'm just going to prepare him, do all the salves, do all the creams. She was able to put a shirt on him, reposition him, fold the bedding over him we ni- put nicely, pants on him. put pants on him, five minutes. I know. She was amazing. Effortless. She was amazing. That's how totally over our skis we were yeah. trying to do that. We, we are idiots. And so, like, so, I mean, this this stuff, and I mean, gosh, I'm, I know there's people out there judging us for you sure. You shouldn't. Yeah. It was with the best of intentions that we failed miserably. I know that we didn't hurt him. No. He was on a ton of drugs. No way. I mean, I know that. I know that we got him comfortably positioned sure. after that. Um, but we are like, we are a couple of idiots. We know what Morons. we do really, really well. And we know now what we're just yeah. terrible at. Which you know, terrible. wants me to dovetail into this. I don't think you or I could say enough positive things about hospice. You dealt with them more than I did. They saw me kind of on the peripheral, but like spend some time talking about how amazing those women were. So, you know, hospice, like often your doctor will recommend a, a certain hospice. Okay. But there are, I, I promise you, even in a small town, there are hospices all over your multiple town. Hospice yeah, multiple options. We chose to go with the one we didn't interview. We just said, we're going to go with the one that is attached to our hospital. But I fully felt like, hmm. If they're bad, I'm, I'm willing to switch. For sure. And you can. I mean, literally, it is in like kind of, I'm going to say, the patient bill of rights. Do you know what I mean? If you don't like what's going on. Every single person we met, and I'm and, and I'm actually going to say their names. First of all, the queen is the lovely Katie for us. Amazing. Do you know what I mean? Because- I can't believe people like her exist. She is amazing. I mean, blonde ponytail, bright blue eyes, and just not weirdly positive. Just, I mean, so- like pragmatically I felt, positive. Yes. She adapted to our personalities and what was going on in our house so beautifully. It was amazing. And then there was Deanna, who was actually Katie's boss. And then there was the other Jen nurse. And they were great. We had a minute of a panic. I had a, I had a minute of a panic um, when I was pretty sure that Gary was passing. And I called very early in the morning and Jen was on call. And um, Jen said, I mean, she told me exactly what to do. And she said, Deb, this is your moment. You were made for this. You can do this. Now go do it, girl. And that was like literally what I needed somebody to say to me. Yep. I mean, like to believe in me. Yep. And he he loved them. I mean, they, they kept saying to him like, Gary, we can come in your bedroom and meet you in bed or meet you in your recliner. or And he was like, no, I mean, let's have coffee in the living room, you yep. know, fully dressed in golf clothes, ready to chat. And so um, I want to say, you know, we, I talked to the doctor one time. I've talked to the chaplain. We've talked to the social worker. 
they're just, at least at our local hospital here, the renowned, they've got it together 100%. And if somebody doesn't have that kind of experience, you should dump your hospice and start interviewing other people. Agreed. Um, Because I know when my girlfriend passed away seven years ago, I mean, that hospice nurse didn't even, I mean, like she was gone. As soon as the pronouncement was gone, she was gone. There was no helping really with anything. And um, Katie just was clearly not going to abandon us. I will say this. I think you and I are both in the same headspace where our thoughts go a thousand miles a minute. And I don't even know how we're like actually telling stories right now because we have tried to tell each other stories. We have tried to tell mm-hmm. other people's stories and people just look at us like, what are you even talking about? Like yeah. we, we have no idea what we're still kind of doing in this moment. So to have somebody as equipped and as adept and as knowledgeable sit there and not get annoyed, not get impatient, not get any type of hyper emotion and just like beautifully walk you through this entire process, stay ahead of everything, use the right verbiage, use the right words, shoulder all the things that none of us would be able to do to have somebody like that. It's invaluable. Oh my gosh. And she, and she kept it light without forcing any of it. Like I, Seriously, I said at the beginning of the show, I'm going to say it again. The day, the morning, dad passed away will resonate as a good morning for me because it it was so much positivity amongst total sadness. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they both lived within each other over and over and over again. So, I mean, I guess here's the thing. I mean, if I were to give anybody advice after having gone through this, you know, you don't know what you don't know. Right. So ask all the questions and ask the scary questions because hearing the answer to a scary question before that thing happens is better than being surprised by the thing. Totally. I mean, you know, if your husband has or wife has a certain disease, or your mother or your father, um, like for instance, Gary had bladder cancer. I mean, interestingly enough, at the end, the bladder was not in the cancer but it was in the kidneys, it was in the liver, it was in his stomach. I mean, it was a gut cancer. And, you know, you need to know when somebody has a cancer like that, what is it possibly going to look like when they pass? You need to be prepared for it, even if it's a terrible story. I mean, you hope against hope that it's not that thing. But if it is that thing, you want to at least be prepared. For sure. And I just think, like, we stay away from so much of that, and we have in our heads, the TV version of, and they just drifted off. We said goodbye and then sobbed our little hearts out afterwards. That's not the way it goes. I mean, this death, and this is what one of the hospice nurses said, and I think this is super important. If you think about childbirth and you think like babies don't remember, but a baby getting through a birth canal or even a baby being taken cesarean is a It's traumatic. It's huge. Lives are at risk. It's a big deal. We're super happy because we end up with a baby in the end, right? The baby has no recollection of their own birth. But it is important to know that it's hard to get into the world. Yep, It is hard. It can also be really hard to get out of the world. And if you have somebody with a long ongoing illness, it can be tough. And the more you know about that process... And the more you understand it, and I'm going to say mostly you won't find it on Google. I mean, so go to a professional, the better equipped you're going to be. And if none of the weird 
uncomfortable, bad things happen, then yay. Yep. I mean, really, how lovely for you. And if they do, then you get to say, that didn't happen to me. I feel really, 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 really fortunate. Yep. You know? But it's, um, he's gone. We are absolutely heartbroken. I feel devastated. I thought I was ready. We knew what was coming. It didn't, did that help? I don't think so. Not much now. That's, I mean, how I feel about it. Um, He's still around us everywhere. I literally saw his coffee cup and lost my mind yesterday. Um, It can be the littlest things that are innocent that will creep in, like an innocent thing will creep in your brain. Like, oh, he had some food he likes in the fridge. That stuff has gluten in it. We're gluten-free. I can now get rid of that. That thought doesn't bother me. I'm fine with that thought. Then for some reason I go to, Gary uses a certain coffee pot. We use a different one. Oh, his coffee pot. Am I going to keep that? Yes, because it's a normal Keurig coffee pot. Oh, there's his coffee cup sitting. Because what I did is I washed it. I was worried he was going to get up one more time. I washed it and I took his coffee mug and I set it right so it was ready and that crumpled me. So that innocent that innocent thing about the refrigerator, right. which didn't bother me at all, just my mind then segued to the coffee pot. That didn't bother me. But then I just turned for some reason and looked at the coffee pot and saw the mug, and that took me to my knees. Yeah. Can we talk about going to the funeral home today? Oh, dear Lord. Well, let me say this. I just want two things I want to say before that. So the minute, like we had the paperwork ready, we sent it off. The minute the funeral home pushes the button after they've done the paperwork that this guy is dead, the whole world knows. I mean, your friends and family don't know. I think it alerts the county. I think it it alerts the state. I think it alerts the IRS. I think it alerts the, I mean, everybody. Social Security, like the important, I don't know if it alerts your bank, but everybody knows after Social Security knows. We, within a couple of hours of his leaving this house, get a phone call from a group that, we're sorry, your husband's dead. And I'm like, what? You know, could he donate his irises? I'm just telling you, that stuff is crazy. Corneas. Corneas. Irises would have been great because he had blue. Because he had blue eyes. Corneas, Corneas. I'm sorry. And they were not as perfunctory as that. It was a very sweet younger gal yeah. who made sure to use her name yeah. and use dad's name and apologize profusely before then asking for his body parts. So she was lovely, as Kevin says. I mean, I'm like, you know, he's had a horrible cancer. I don't think his body parts are... Yeah, I don't think you want any I don't of this think stuff. You want I don't think the next person wants any of this Then she stuff. wants to explain to me that, you know, corneas are good. Do you know what I mean? Really, almost no matter what. I don't know really what this organization is and I don't know who she is. And I said, I don't think he was an organ donor on his card. And she said, "Uh, no, he wasn't. And then it's like, I'm trapped. It's too soon. Right. I'm trapped between what would he want? And do I love the idea of getting somebody getting his corneas? I do. Do I love the idea of somebody going to the morgue and messing with him? I don't. And I mean, so ultimately I ended up deciding no, just because I couldn't decide, you know, but I do want to say there is this huge machine business that goes 
into effect immediately that I just think is so wrong. Like you don't have time literally to breathe before that machine starts. I, I, I get it from all levels. I get it from our level. I get it from their level. It's, it's a, it is a past human being. It is a dead body. Those organs need to be salvaged within 24 hours. They need to be right. And those, there are real people who exist in this world who may be able to benefit from those corneas. The problem is we, that's not a conversation we ever had with dad. Right. I think dad would have probably said yes to it. Had somebody been able to allow him to do his homework on it, but he's passed. He wasn't an organ donor. We have no idea what this group is. And it's not that we don't see the benefit of it. Of course we do. But you're asking us, his family, in the height of emotion to then say, can we start treating him like an object and removing things from him, even for the best of reasons? That's impossible. It's impossible. And listen, we are not against organ donation. No, not at all. Totally pro-organ donation. But that just felt like, it felt like too much. Way too much. Yeah talk about the funeral home today. Mostly we don't need to talk about the entire funeral home, but there was one thing in specific, but by by all means, give us some background. So the gal I had called last week, I should have called months ago. Listen, there is nothing wrong with notifying a funeral home. Uh, this, this is what I Your loved say. one doesn't need to know that you did it. Uh, yeah, your loved one doesn't need to know. And some people have done it for themselves ahead of time. So there is preparation, right? Yep. I had not done anything. I knew it needed to be done. When he went into hospice, every day I said to myself, do that, do that, do that. Every day it felt terrible to me. I mean, there was this one day a couple of weeks ago, like I'm going to do it. And I just couldn't, yeah. you know, I finally did probably last week and uh, got a lovely lady, Mary on the phone. And she said, okay, there's really not a lot you have to do. I'm going to email you a form and you fill it out. You get it back to us. And then actually hospice is going to call us when he passes. That felt great. So I didn't look at the form too much ahead of time. I maybe looked at it, I don't know, three days, two or three days before he passed. And I realized almost everything I knew and I could figure it out. Um, I didn't know that his dad's middle name was Ralph, Mm. but um, I don't know. Good thing to not know that. I don't know. But now you Uh, do. But now I do. And filled it all in. And then it has the day they passed and the time they passed, which of course I didn't know. So I just left it. I'll fill that in when the time comes. Um, so, you know, he passed at a particular time, which will always be the time in my mind, but he doesn't actually get recorded at that time until somebody declares him dead, which is when hospice came in. So I'm just going to say for everybody, the wrong time is on the death certificate, the right time. Kevin and I both know. Yeah. And that's really, really for some reason, a big deal to me right now. But this Mary was very nice. So she called um, the day of and said, hey, in the next few days, no hurry. We'd love to get you in to sign the rest of the paperwork and blah, blah, blah. So he's being cremated. We go in today. Mary is, Mary's peculiar, but super nice, but peculiar. Okay. And of course, if you've been into just any funeral home, it doesn't matter how nice they are. They've got all these urns and crazy things on display everywhere. I mean, you can get keychains with a little vial with your loved one's ashes, rings, earrings, jewelry. I mean, it's crazy. And here's the thing with with the funeral homes in and around the Reno Sparks area. They're all owned by the same person. Right. So no matter if you think you're going to the Cadillac or if you're going to the Kia version of funeral homes, 
It's all the same. It doesn't matter where you go. You're going to pay different prices. Right. Because they're different names. They look like different brands, but they're all going to go to the same crematorium yep. and get cremated there. So Mary was Mary lovely, great customer service Fantastic. today. Fantastic. And Mary wasn't too pushy in trying to get us to buy some expensive urn a little bit. She took a couple swings at it. We said, nope, yeah. not going to happen. Deb met her with, this is why people hate funeral homes. <laughs> Because you overcharge for everything, knowing that we can all do all of this online for a fraction of the cost, meaning like the urns, the receptacles, like all of those things we can find at deeply, deeply discounted prices. So to just give somebody, we found the exact urn that was on display there. um, And we don't really want an urn. We're going to spread his ashes and everything. But there was one urn that was $350. I believe that I said to Kevin... That thing's at TJ Maxx. So we have a, I mean, we do have a kind of a sense of humor wherever we go. For sure. But we found it for, how much was it on Amazon? $89. Yeah, $89. On, I mean, the exact same thing on Amazon. So just know that, people. Just know that. I'm saying that. So literally, I say, I want the most inexpensive thing because our plan is just to sprinkle him. I don't need an urn. Right. And for for like, well, I'm not going to say it's a Ziploc. But almost. Right. But for a Ziploc, they wanted $45. And I was like, I just looked at Mary like, Mary. Yeah. And she goes, or you can bring your own. That's I what said, we're, we're going to do. Thanks, Mary Okay, Bear. thanks, Mary Bear. So then we were good. Um, and it's not that we can't afford it. It's not that we don't think Gary deserves it. It's just simply unnecessary. He wouldn't have wanted us to, I, I emphatically, dad would not have wanted us to spend any dollar amount through the funeral home on something simply to transport his ashes. Right. He would have said, do you know how many buckets I have that you can slap lids on? Use those. Yeah. Do not pay a premium price just to get me from one spot to the next. So I will say this. If you don't do this stuff ahead of time, the recommendation is that you do. Of course. Because you're strong and you're solid and you don't have emotion cursing through your veins. But if you do it at the time, take somebody with you. Really, on my way out the door, Kevin said, do you want me to go? And I went, yeah. And I I do that a lot, kind of like taking Kevin when my mom was dying. I think Kevin needs to know. I think our children need to be really know how to do this and not figure it out when it's actually happening. Yeah. So, But anyways, Mary just starts telling us some stories about cremations. Options. And options that we have. So here's an option. I'm just going to share it with everybody. Well, I d- this, this is still fresh in our head. It blew my mind in the moment. I've talked about it two or three times since. It's blown my mind every other time. As we talk about it today, it, uh, in this moment, still blows my mind. Well, we were just there a few hours ago. But so it this still is blows news. my mind, and I hope it blows everybody else's mind because I can't believe it's real. So there are some pretty... I'm going to say this is how it started. Some pretty extravagant options right. that you can put your loved one in to put them into the crematorium, yeah. which seems counterintuitive to me. So it's it's a fully combustible casket that they have to be placed into simply to house them as the incineration process begins. But then there are ones with like pillows and silk linings yeah. and they're fancy. That look like upscale real caskets. Right. And so we're... Kevin and I are looking at each other, not understanding like why you would do that and all that. So then it is, she said, so, well, you know, as an option, and of course this costs, Jimmy and everything, everything costs. Everything costs everything. As an option, 
If your loved one, if you want to see your loved one before they're cremated, you can do that. Kevin and I look at each other and I go, didn't you just tell me it's going to be a minimum of two weeks before he's cremated? And she said, yes. And I said, he's in refrigeration. She said, yes. And I said, but he's going to deteriorate. And she goes, oh yeah. So we're going to put makeup and everything on him. And I'm like, oh God, he would kill us. Talk about dignity or lack thereof. I know. So we're like, no, 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 no. We don't want to see him before he's cremated. Absolutely. 100% not. And you say something like, do people want to do that? And she's like, a surprising amount of people do, which that terrifies us. And she says, there's even an option for. For you to push the button as they go into the crematorium. So you get to start the process. At of your loved point, one burning. I want to scream. Scream. Out loud. And Kevin and I look at each other and I go, do people do this? And she said, yes. Now, listen, if you people out there do this and you know about this and we're the, we just don't know because we haven't been in this environment, like that is crazy to me. And then I go, do they stay? And she goes, well, no, that takes three or four hours. No, j- no. But, but there's a viewing room. There's a room. That you can stay in yeah. and watch the incineration process. You're not watching it burn, but you, you're looking at whatever the oven is. Right. And you can just sit amongst friends and family. And watch. And watch. I was horrified. Sometimes humanity's gone too far. Sometimes humanity's gone way too far. And then she did say, so one guy paid for it all in advance, put it in his will. Yeah. The, the family had to do had it. Had to do it. And I, I was just like, oh my, who is that person? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? A control freak. A control freak. As somebody who wants the limelight on him even after that. So here's the thing. The practical part of this, and I know nobody probably wanted to hear that part of the story, is that craziness starts right away. Totally. And you've got to be prepared for it. Yeah. And I feel like now, this is what I feel like. People don't talk about death enough. People don't. We don't. I mean, our Western culture does not talk about death. We don't talk about dying. It needs to be normalized. We need to do better. But then we don't, for some reason, talk about this crazy stuff either. It's kind of like if we never talked to a woman ever about being pregnant, like how scary everything would be along the way. So there's this piece of me that is like, we need to tell everybody there is some batch crazy stuff going on out there. And like, just because you're in one of the most emotional states of your body I mean, that you'll ever be in, don't take advantage, don't let them be, take advantage of you, right? I right. mean, it is hard. You just want to get through this stuff. So all this stuff is hard. Everything as nice as she was, I mean, was like, no, 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 no. I mean, like, we don't need that done, you know? He's being cremated and he's going to be spread and that's what we want to do. And all of this doesn't have to happen for that to happen, you know? Yep. But it is crazy. We miss him like crazy. I still wish I could have him in front of me for five minutes. I probably would waste it. I probably wouldn't even know what to say. I'm probably looking for him to tell me something that he probably already told me. Um, We have agreed. We said this before, and we have agreed that this tsunami of emotion we will walk into because what we don't want is to have baggage from this later. So we're trying to be healthy. We're trying to do it right. And um, if there is a right, and um, I think we now realize like it really is a process. 
Uh, and one of the last things that we'll talk about uh, before we end this episode is, you know, there's that saying, it takes a village to raise a child. Uh, I think it takes a village to help with death as well. Yeah, for sure. The amount of love and support we have received, not just in the last 48 hours, but the months and years leading up to this day, there is not enough time to thank everybody. There is not enough words to thank everybody. There is not enough emotion to share to everybody. We could spend another hour line iteming all the people who have sent loving words, who have sent food, who have sent flowers, who have sent texts, who have sent condolences. To have that in our lives at what could be considered a very low moment still is astonishing and startling to the likes of which I don't think you can even anticipate all of the love that comes from a moment like this. I think like it is remarkable, like how I feel like I, I told you last week, I felt like this, the wagons were kind of circling around us yeah. and boy, this week, do you know what I mean? It certainly took over. And I mean, some, some of the things in the most beautiful comments from, I want to say the most unexpected places totally. like are such a surprise and such, I mean, like touch your heart so much. I mean, I've had people that every morning since he passed, like in the morning have texted me and said, I'm just thinking about you this morning. If you need something, I will say um, we were both kind of dreading and, and a lot of people have asked us about the first morning that we woke up. Like, did we have that m- moment where we felt like it's a normal moment and then we remembered yeah. and then it was awful? I will tell you, no, I woke up and I felt fine and I wasn't sad. I was sad 20 minutes later over something completely ridiculous. For sure. But I wasn't. And I think the reason that I wasn't is because we've been waking up apprehensively so long that not waking up and wondering if he had passed and I'd missed it was like, I knew that wasn't a thing anymore. Right. And so waking up for me, at least so far has been fine. Yeah. Shout out um, Xanax. So shout out Xanax. We had about a dozen people say to us, you need to take something to sleep tonight. You yeah. need to take something. Don't worry. We're good. Don't worry. We did. And we both slept through the night. Yeah. Um, so I do, I, I, this stuff is hard. I mean, I think when people hear this, it's like, oh, well, I know people who've died and Hey, don't we all die? And the answer to that is yes, we all do. And yet when it's up close and personal like this, it just feels really big. We don't expect it to feel really big for everybody else. Um, but it does feel really big and we are so, so so grateful to all the people I'm just going to say that are loving us through this. It's amazing. We Deb and I's love language more than anything is food. And we have had that <laughs> in spades. We so have. thank you to everybody because we do not want for food and we will welcome all of the food. So thank you to everybody. We could start our own florist. We could right, right now. now. Yeah. It's a lot of, um, Vases, vases, if you're fancy, full of beautiful floral arrangements throughout this house. I wasn't sure if the first day I was puffy from crying or from allergies from all of the flowers, but it It is- smells great when you walk in our house. Smells great. Our dog has enjoyed some of the treats that people have brought because she's taken them off the counter and eaten them. Happily. Happily. Uh, It has 
that the outpouring of support has been amazing. And, and to my girlfriend who was flown, flew in with 24 hours notice because we thought we were, we were going to have dad for longer and we, we knew we needed extra help. And she had said, I'll cover him between the hours of midnight and 6am. If you need that only to have him pass within six hours of her having arrived has been so nice having her. It's been amazing. She has working full time. She's got school and she still is trying to help you and I to the best of her ability. And so to have that third person in this house allows us to not sit in sorrow the entire time as well. Well, for sure. She's super sensitive to us. Like, like if she's this nice all the time, then I mean, oh my God, just, well, forget I'm dumping you. That's fair. Taking her. Um, But also she has just slipped in very easily and she's been an incredible help. She has a good sense of humor. I think she's getting a view of us. Like, I don't know, Kevin, just going to warn you. She might be rethinking you because she should, you know, this whole thing, her biggest red flag is that she likes me. That is her biggest red flag for sure. Um, But she's been an absolute darling. And like, we laugh about, would she do anything? And I think she would do anything to help us. Here is, here is like, I guess the part that, that I feel, I can feel life going on. I I feel life moving past me right now because I'm a little stuck in this cloud of all of this. Um, But I know it's, if it's, if life is like a little walkway conveyor belt, like we're going to have to jump on it, jump off it, jump on. I mean, that's what it, that's what it looks like. You can't avoid that. The world continues on one person died. You and I were not those people. And in order to honor him, what we have to do is live the best life possible. Agreed. And, you know, make him really, truly make him proud of us. Yep. Um, I will say this, every kind word, every thought, when someone says they're thinking of me, those are like little drops of water that feel the, fill the ache in my heart. Agreed. They truly, truly do. And so know that if you're doing that, you're contributing to our healing. Seriously, we wouldn't have enough time to thank everybody. So know that every message, every gift, every food item, every thought, every phone call is so terribly appreciated to the depths of which we try to screen them. Because if we know somebody really nice is calling, we can't, we can't bear it. Like oh, we I mean, can't bear it. I answered the phone today and I said, okay, don't ask me how I am yep. and do not be nice. And yep. we can have this conversation. Yep. I do want to say one last thing. Please. So in case anybody's wondering about Nola. Fair question. Nola, of course, is our Springer Spaniel who did not leave Gary's side for two and a half years. And when I say didn't leave his side, I mean didn't leave his side. Nope. Wherever Gary was, Nola was. And if that means he was in bed 12 hours a day, Nola was in bed 12 hours a day. At one point, we got very worried about her, took her to the vet. The vet said, I've seen this before. Let's get her on Prozac immediately. We did. She's on some other anti-anxiety stuff. That seemed to help a little bit. But we were worried about Nola. So Nola, the whole hospital bed, when that came, Nola was having none of that because there wasn't really room for her. True. And so, but we thought she might leave the room, but she didn't. She slept by the bed or near the bed periodically she'd get up if there was room at the foot of the bed. Yep. Um, when he was passing, I think Nola knew. I think she totally. was moving around. I think she kind of couldn't figure it out. Um, when Katie was getting daddy's body ready, Nola was outside and we let Nola in. And uh, Nola 
was like a golden girl. All that day, Nola took her paws, peeked up on the bed, smelled his hand, looked at us, jumped up on the bed, kind of took a couple smells, laid her head down on his legs, curled up and went to sleep and stayed there until they took him. It was gut-wrenching. It was the sweetest thing in the world that literally took me to the ground. Yep. I mean, she, like Nola deserves an award. She does. You know, and if you ask, so then the bed goes, they take that bed that day. So the room's kind of empty. And Kevin says, well, where is Nola going to sleep? Because she's been sleeping. I said, I think we need to let her sleep in that room. And he goes all by herself. I said, I think it's where she'd want to be. So I took the sheets and the blankets that, um, and Nola does have a bed. People don't judge me but I took the sheets and the blankets that had been on dad's bed and I put them on the floor kind of like in a pile and then closed the door. You and I were getting ready before we went upstairs. We peeked in. Nola was sound asleep right in the middle of those had made this little circle. And that's where we found her the next morning sound asleep and got her up. And that's how she's been ever since. I mean, she's out with us now she's doing stuff with us. But at night, she's still sleeping there, and that seems to be her preference and make her happy. So all is well. Yeah, and then the last thing to touch on is I think a lot of people are thinking, well, of course, this podcast makes sense because everybody has had a passenger seat to the journey of us and dad and his cancer. We're going to continue doing this podcast, just like we would give you anecdotal information about things happening with dad. We'll give you anecdotal information about how we're handling it. It'll It's kind of this crescendo up to his death, and it'll be this crescendo down with us dealing with it. But we still want to laugh. We still want to have fun. We still want to bring enjoyment to people's lives. If we're having an emotional day, that'll be documented on this podcast. If we're feeling good, we want other people to know that we're feeling good. So I don't want anybody to think that we're glossing over this or that we're not sitting with the emotion because trust us, we are, we are processing it. But one of the great things that this podcast has always been and always will be is an outlet for us to be able to express ourselves good, bad, or in between. And this is no different. So we fully anticipate a podcast coming out on Monday. We fully anticipate giving an update of where we're at, but we want to do Deb's business segment. We want to do Dear Debbie. We want to have fun cold opens. And throughout that, we'll be interdispersed with how we're doing, how our family's doing, and eventually that'll taper off to it's just a normal show. Yeah, I love, I love that, and and I really, I really want to say I know that we have a couple of listeners who are going right now. They're in the throes of what we're going through. You are in our hearts. You are in our minds. You are in our prayers, and you will get through this. I mean, you will. But I just, my best advice would be. Let yourself laugh. Some of this stuff is freaking ridiculous. And if you were to have a camera on it, it wouldn't matter what the situation, people would laugh. And let yourself laugh at yourself. The other stuff that you do that you start questioning yourself, my friend Haley said, Deb, the minute you question yourself, forgive yourself. And I think that's the best advice in the world. The minute you start to think, should I, could I, I possibly could have, nope, stop it, knock it off. You did the best you could in that moment. Now forgive yourself and move on. Agreed. And then there's just laughing is good. Crying is good. Feeling relief is good. Feeling scared of the future is good. It's all part of it. No call to action to end this podcast. 
Mom, you've been an amazing trooper through all of this. Two and a half years of our life was dedicated to helping somebody that we loved. And I know for a fact that we helped him to the best of our ability. And he was showered in love and praise and as much happiness and laughter as he could possibly stand from the likes of us. And though whenever he was going to pass, it was going to feel too soon. I know that he knows that we'll be just fine. I love you to death. I love you, baby. Pops, we love you so much. And we miss you so much. We'll see you guys on Monday. Thank you for listening to the Dev and Kev podcast. Remember to like and subscribe wherever you listen to this podcast. Follow Deb and Kev on Facebook and on Instagram and Twitter at Dev and Kev Pod.